Lord Jesus, as we come to you around your word this morning, I'm asking for grace, Lord, first and foremost upon me, that, Lord, my mind would be ordered in the way you desire it to be, that, Lord, your word would come through from clean hands and a pure heart and with pure vision, Lord, this morning. This is such a mighty verse that we were about to read, and, Lord, I'm just aware of my human inadequacy, Lord, as we think about the profoundness of what you said to those disciples 2,000 years ago. I pray, Lord, that these words would shake us this morning with a holy awe, a wonder, a great encouragement for the way you see us as your people. And Lord, the role you're asking us to take up, not only in our families and friendships, but in the city, Lord, and in the world around us. Lord, we're praying for that depth that breath, that heart of your word to come to us with great power. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 5 verse 13 reads this. You, plural, Jesus talking to his disciples, you, plural, are the salt of the earth, of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I am honest before you today. The more I think about just that first part of verse 13, I am amazed at the profoundness of what it means for you and me as disciples of Jesus 2,000 years later. And I want to remind you Nikki has mentioned it this morning, but it's essential to what I'm going to talk about this morning. Remember, when we look at our lives and our relationship with Jesus, we're looking for three things particularly that show that we are growing in Him, that we are changing. The first is we are called to love. Say it a bit better than that. We're called to love. Love up. If you are growing in your desire and love for Jesus, you're on a good track. The second is we're called to love. If you are experiencing a deeper love for these brothers and sisters around you, in other words, it's not just me, myself, and I. You're concerned. You're excited to be here. Not just to meet Jesus, but to meet each other. You're on track. The third is if we love, but louder than that, if we love, that's it. Friends, this is the highest form of love. Is when you are concerned about how the person on the outside in this room feels when they come into this building. Whether you are concerned about whether those in your life know Jesus or not. When you are praying, thinking about, thinking about ways of introducing those in your life to Jesus or pulling them into the community of Christ. If this is your love growing in deeper measure, you are in good shape. Why do I say it this morning? Because we use the wrong 
yardstick traditionally to find out how we're doing. If you do not use these three dimensions of love, you look to your church attendance, you look to your giving, you look to these things that are given in Scripture, but really what we are looking for and what Christ is looking for and what these words, you are salt, means is are you growing in love? And it is so important for us who've been coming here for some time, for those of you looking on the outside in about what is this Christian gospel about? It is transforming us to love Jesus, love his church, and love the world in a way that has changed the world for 2,000 years. Can I say, what we're talking about here is the mark of grace upon a Christian. I ask you this morning because I ask myself, are your prayers getting bigger or are they just staying the same? Because the more you know God, the bigger you see is and the more you ask Him. The second is, are you growing in your hunger and thirst for Him? Is your desire getting stronger? Is your desire to see those around you saved, burning brighter? Friends, this is the mark of grace. This is the mark of a person who's growing in Jesus. This is the mark of a disciple. And so when you look at your life, you look at those things in three dimensions. And I tell you, a church, why do I emphasize, emphasize as a church that is set on fire in this way, that has this kind of love operating in it, it can change the city and it can change the world. Now, you might not believe me. We got some few confident amens, but I'm going to prove it this morning. The first is this. Can you think about how profound Jesus', Jesus statement is to those who are listening? You are the salt of the earth. Who is he talking to? A bunch of nobodies. A bunch of Palestinians. Do you know what they used to call, the Romans used to call Palestine, the province of Palestine, the armpits of the Roman Empire? A bunch of fishermen. A bunch of ladies and gentlemen that weren't highly educated in a corner of the world that was unknown. And when Jesus says to this group of people around him, these disciples that want to be close to him, can you imagine the moment when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. The earth. You are the light of the world. I tell you, if I was standing in that congregation, I would have gone, what? Look at us. We're barely dressed. We're mostly poor. We're mostly uneducated. Fishermen, tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners. These are the kinds of people that God said when he saw them, you are the salt of the earth. Sterling, when God looks down on heaven and he sees us, he's not looking for rock stars. He's looking for people whose lives have been rocked by Jesus. He's looking for a church that says, this love that characterized Christ, that when he came down to earth, he loved the Father, he loved the disciples, his brethren, and he loved the world. It changed the world. And he said, my friend, if you're going to follow me, you're going to look like me. And the kind of love that's in me is going to be in you. And if this love is present, you'll change the world. And this morning, when that spirit, we must remind ourselves, when that spirit was poured out at Pentecost, my friend, that church was set on fire with a love for God. A love for each other. People sold their homes. People gave up what they had in their cupboards. People made sure that no one went without anything because of this incredible loving in. 
And let me tell you, they were driven by one passion only, was to see the others enter into the same life they had received in Jesus. Is this you? Is this me? Is this the kind of love that characterizes Sterling? And it's a natural statement. It should not surprise us. You are the salt of the earth. It should not surprise us after what we have just seen in the Beatitudes, not so. When you are experiencing the Spirit's transforming power in your life, where you are poor in spirit, you're living off God's hand. You're experiencing what it's like to be comforted by grace and you're mourning your sin. When you're experiencing what it's like to be meek because God is your representative on earth, you experience what it's like to hunger and thirst for righteousness. My friends, you are never the same again. How can you be? This appetite inside of you for Christ, it is transforming the way you think, the way you spend your money, the way you spend your time, the way you see your relationships in your life. Everything in your life changes. And the profoundness of this statement is saying, you are totally different from the world around you. You are salt. Salt. You're not like the earth. You're not like the dust that's tasteless. You're not like the kind of earth that people trample on. You're salt and you are light. You are so different. The world is in darkness. My friend, you are light. The world has no life. It's dead. It's insipid. It's that awful thing. It's like making a cup of rooibos tea and you just dip the bag in one shot. When you taste it, it's got nothing. But the Christian's different. The Christian has life. The Christian tastes different. Its effect in this world is powerful. This is the kind of life that's transformed by the Beatitudes. You are never the same again, my friend, once Christ grips your life. And so this saltiness is not talking about a Christian by default. Just because you've known Jesus for 30 years does not mean you're salt. That is my challenge in preparing this week. It is somebody, the Christian, who has embraced the work of the Spirit in their lives through their passionate pursuit of Jesus. That's salt. Those that have the Beatitudes operating in their life taste different. Saltiness is the righteousness produced through the Spirit seen in the Beatitudes. It's the person who's having their appetite for righteousness satisfied. And it's the most natural statement because, remember in Beatitude number 8, it says, blessed are the persecuted, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. It is just carrying on the thoughts of saying, you are so different because of Christ's transforming power in your life, because of your love for him, your love for your fellow Christians, your love for the world around you. That's just coming through an overflow of your desire to please Jesus. You are never the same again. You are salt. You are light. And the value of this saltiness this morning, we miss it because we buy salt. I checked, I had to buy some new salt. Um, I actually brought it with me this morning. I, it was, I've been on a salt journey lately, and I didn't know I was going to preach this, but um, this is, I think, 17 Rand, right? This one's a bit more expensive. But in ancient times, you got paid in salt if you're a Roman soldier. Do you know that? That's where that term, he's worth his weight in, salt, comes from. You know, in China, salt was second in value only to gold. 
And when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, he's saying this saltiness that is seen in the Beatitudes coming out in you, it is priceless. And your role in this world to God as a disciple of Jesus, it is so dignifying. Can you imagine those poor fishermen standing there in their smelly, prawn-smelling, fish-smelling clothes? And Jesus says to God, you are as valuable as salt. It's massive. And the amazing thing about the salt, is not, it's not only priceless, but it's rare. In the ancient world, you couldn't go to Pick and Bay and buy a nice uh, bunch of salt like this. It was rare. And Jesus was implying that this kind of saltiness seen in the Beatitudes, this incredible Christ-likeness coming out in his disciples would not be a majority in the Christian church. Is that it's rare. And Jesus said like this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 14 of the Sermon on the Mount. He said, But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And I say this point of salt being so priceless is because when something's priceless, you guard it with your life, not so. I have a little safe in my house. I don't think it would take much to break in, but... Our passports are in there because you don't want to go through a home affairs if something goes wrong. <laughs> no, sir? Have you seen that queue? That passport's priceless. I have a British passport. One day I might actually use it. But it is a rare thing. And I... Guard it with my life. And this is the point I'm going to make at the end. Is that this saltiness in you has to be guarded with your life. Because as we're going to see in just a moment, we can lose it. If salt loses its saltiness, then what's its use? And so I'm going to uh, be quite brief in talking about the next point is the nature of salt and its various uses and effects. And you know, salt is an amazing compound. And you might have heard a lot of sermons on this, so I don't want to take too much time. But I want to just quickly focus on what are the functions of salt. Well, the first is it makes you thirsty, right? Oh man, salt and vinegar chips. You don't have that without a nice Coke or a glass of water, not so? I once went on a binge on chips. We played... Uh, PlayStation, I had a friend who was at Varsity with me. I wasn't a big gamer, but he did. We ate four packets of big chips. I think I had something physiologically wrong for me, I mean, for a few days. And I was so thirsty, I could not stop drinking water or needing the loo. And this is what saltiness does in us, is the effect of what we have in our love for Jesus transforming us. And these are these congratulations, these beatitudes that come out in us. It makes us salty. And the world around us starts to get a little bit thirsty for what we've got. And the amazing thing when thinking about this is generally the gospel's not interested in, the, the world is not interested in the gospel. Not so? People don't generally go around saying, you know, tell me about Jesus. But there are moments in Scripture where Scripture says the kind of person the Christian is intrigues the world. 
And it's the saltiness of these beatitudes coming out in your life. People around you start going, man, this isn't just talk. This person tastes different. And last night, I don't know, it was, must have been the Lord doing it. But, you know, we don't try to be salty. It is a side effect of us enjoying Jesus, right? And I, I wanted to make this point quick, hold the thought about last night's meal, I get there. But so long in my life, can I be honest with you, I found Christianity to be quite a stressful thing. Do you know why? Because I've been so concerned about operating in people's views that they see me as different. And my focus has been, what do they think about me? What do they think about me? What do they think about me? Now, for the person that's salty is they actually don't worry about what the person in front of them thinks about them. They're worried about what Jesus thinks about them. And they are so at peace and so secure in what they are pursuing in their life and who they serve. No matter what the company is, they are just at rest and peace and joyful. This thing about being salt is I don't want you to think I have to sweat. Even sweat is all salty. It doesn't really produce the kind of salt we're looking for. This sweating about trying to be different it's not how it works in the Christian life. The way it works is you're secure about who you serve and where you're going and what you're after and who you're enjoying. And it creates this wonderful aroma around you of peace and love and joy. And the reason why I say that is the next point is that salt is a seasoning, right? Last night we made a soup while my wife did. It was supposed to be called hearty winter soup. It was a loji amiom. It tasted like hearty winter dishwater. And I got home from, I can say this because my wife asked me to fix it, which I said, you're crazy. I only follow recipes. I'm a pharmacist. And uh, when I got there, I got home from doing a wedding and she said, you've got to fix that meal. It's disgusting. And what's the first thing I reach for? The salt. And there I am grinding and grinding. And you know what was amazing about it is you just need a little bit to change the whole pot. And I was thinking about that. Don't be intimidated that there's so few or so little saltiness around. Is even the simple salt in your life changes the flavor wherever you go. And the salt is an antiseptic and a preservative, not so? Oh, it just burns. That's the main thing. But the salt brings healing. That's the beauty of this. This amazing, precious white compound, when you rub it into a wound, it brings healing. You know that it's good for bee stings, I read. I didn't know that. It also prevents decay or putrefication, known as rotting. But what God said to me is, we know all this, but what God said to me is, Matthew, how does salt work? Does it work if it stays in this container? Salt has to come into contact with the thing it needs to work in. Not so? <laughs> and what was so fascinating for me is the way you work with salt is you have to rub it in. How many of you made biltong here? Yeah? Here we go. Do you know that biltong is famous? I read it in an international commentary. One guy says there is a meat in South Africa where they rub salt in and it can last indefinitely called biltong. When you put it in a pot, you have to add it in. And this is the point, what I felt is so important for you and me to understand. 
is God is wanting to wrap you into the world. Is this salt is designed to be in contact with the world it's put in. So as John's with his patients, well, I had a, I had a something was a life-changing moment for me. Was Karen Land? She's a a, a, a a spin instructor, right? Have you ever, any of you been to her classes? Brilliant. I've been to one. <laughs> it was not because it wasn't bad. It was it was wasn't good. But you know what happened? There is Karen. She's radiant. Karen. 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 I'm so sorry, Karen. She is full of joy at five in the morning. The rest of us are there. <laughs> Hello, everybody. So good to be with you. And she's radiant. And at the end of the spin session, what music does Karen put on for the cool down? It's Matt Redman. I think it's coming back to the heart of worship. And I could just sense the presence of God in a spin session. Do you know, as a pharmacist, it was so challenging for me. Because in that moment, I could see the life in Karen being attached to Jesus. And the class was different. My day was different. I left there with a sense of the presence of Christ. And I tell you, this is the kind of thing, in her spin session, and some of you are like this, when you're inviting guys around for tea, when you're engaged in, at the, the cashier in the store, there is this aspect to salty Christians that when you're with them, you sense this incredible difference of life. They don't sound the same. They don't stress the same. They don't think the same. They don't operate the same. They're not perfect, but there is this intriguing difference about the way when they come into contact with the world, they are so salty. And this is the point I wanted to say in this section, is how interested are you in the world around you as a Christian? You see, the church has gone through various forms, and one of them has been this understanding that to be truly spiritual, you have to be separate from the world, right? It's called monasticism. And we have a monastic way of thinking. We think about, well, my relationship with Jesus, it's in my room at night or in a church on Sunday, and my full expression and wonder and love for Him and speaking to Him and about Him, it comes in these segmented moments. When Jesus is saying, Sterling, I want to rub you into the world around you. And the picture I got was at Christmas time, you make this roast, right? And you rub that seasoning in, and you rub and you rub. And over a period of time, that seasoning is tasted in the whole meat. How interested are you in the colleagues in your workplace? How compassionate are you towards your customers that come in. I don't care where you've been put, you've got people around you. How in your life are you asking the question and thinking about the privilege of bringing salt into that area? Because my friend, the people in your life matter to Jesus more than what you and I realize. They're on his heart day and night. And the aroma and the seasoning that he's calling us to represent comes through contact. But there's a bit more in understanding 
this aspect of salt being an antiseptic or a preservative is it unpacks the real view of how God sees the world around us. And I want to explain this as briefly as possible, but also as clearly as possible, because if we don't get this, then we don't really see the urgency or the need for our role to be salty. Is if we are salt, then we've got to ask ourselves, what does that make the world around us? And it's not popular to say, and it's not commonly preached, but friends, the world around us is dead in trespasses and sin. It is decaying. And the world left to itself gets worse and worse. And I'll put it to you this morning that we are historically in an age when the saltiness of the church is at such a low level, the world is just getting worse and worse. And I can prove it to you in history. There was this moment when there was something called the French Revolution. Do you know the French Revolution was a bloodbath? People were getting guillotined left, right, and center. And the essence of the revolution was we want a secular state. We want a, a state that has full of liberty and freedom, liberty, freedom, equality, all that, those things. But the essence was a nation without any sense of saltiness operating in it. It was a bloodbath. And historians, secular historians, have pointed to the Wesley revival in the 18th century. There's actually a book called England or Britain before and after Wesley, because of the profound impact of the gospel being preached and what God was doing in numbers across that nation, that it said it was the mark that saved Britain from the same thing. This incredible saltiness in the church shaping a nation. And unless we understand that our view of the world is God's, in that apart from Jesus, apart from the saltiness being present, this world is lost. We will not take our need to be salty very seriously. Understanding that we are salt understands, helps us in our understanding of what the world really needs. The world, church, can I be very straight with you, does not need housing, clothing, work, food, education. That is not the primary problem of the world. The primary problem is an absence of God in it. The absence of a relationship with God, of being totally fallen and depraved in our understanding of why we are here and why we exist. It is actually a total orientation away from God. And I'll say this because there is a misunderstanding or a complication that can come into our minds of understanding what the world really needs and why we're in it. We understand that the problem 
is this broken relationship with God, and the primary remedy is the gospel. Now hear me out. I'm not finished yet. What did Jesus say in Matthew 28? He said, go and make disciples of all nations. The focus of the church is to make disciples. And this has been what has changed the world, is people understanding that unless the world hears the gospel, it is eternally separated from God. And we talk about the social action of the church being something that, that impressed the world. But I want to say the social action of the church comes on the back of people who were motivated by the gospel. There was a guy called Hudson Taylor. You know what he used to do? He used to sit on his bed and look at a map of China and go, a million Chinese people are dying every month without Christ. He set off to China and he set a whole missionary movement off in China that changed the face of modern missions. William Carey went to India to go and share the gospel with the Indian people to make disciples. And suddenly what he saw when he arrived was that these people had no agricultural methods. They had no adequate health care sector. There was no proper education. And when Christians moving to the world, motivated by the gospel, they start to see, they start to see there's a need around me here. That's when they start to meet it. It is a byproduct, a necessary byproduct of being motivated with a single understanding that our commission is the gospel. And as we preach and seek to make disciples, so as we do in our church, in our city, we see need. And how can we just preach to the spiritual nature of man without seeing the physical, emotional aspects of his being? But my argument is there's an order. And unless we are motivated by the gospel, where you work, live, and play, the words of Jesus will not ring out which were, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? We can clothe, we must. We can feed. We can house. We can do all these things. But friends, if they are not given an opportunity to be made a disciple of Christ, they are eternally separated from God. There's an order. And I point to Jesus in this. Did Jesus set up a massive social action campaign in his three years of ministry? Did he? Did he build a university to educate the masses? Did he do that? No. He understood that the primary task of you and me, as his was, was the gospel. And as he was preaching, as he was sharing the gospel, he saw 5,000 people hungry. Not so? Did he just ignore that? Did he go, well, I'm just going to let these guys fend for themselves? No, what did he do? He fed them. When he was preaching and people were sick, did he leave them? He sought to heal them. When he saw people on the outskirts like Zacchaeus, did he just leave them? He went to their home and visited them. I ask you the question this morning because it's a question I ask myself. What are we here for? Why do we exist as salt in this life?
Because unless that's our primary focus, sterling, we are going to miss the blessing that comes upon the person or the church that takes up this call. The seventh beatitude is blessed are the peacemakers. Not so. The highest beatitude with the most profound honor, you will be called sons and daughters of the living God, comes through this understanding that my role in life is to bring the shalom of Jesus into the world around me. I'll skip to the end. Why does this matter? Because there's a risk of us losing our saltiness if we're not careful about how important it is. In ancient times, they used to have a white powder. It was around the Dead Sea. It had a bit of salt in, but it used to be sold fraudulently as salt. And what would happen is this salt would wash out, and so all that you really would have left is road dust. That's why it talks about being trampled underfoot. You just become like road dust. There's no usefulness left. And I thought of it like this. I bought this salt cellar a couple of months ago. It has been the most frustrating salt cellar of my life because I can't get the salt to come out. It's stuck to each other. And I bash and I smash. It's doing what better now. Eventually, I just bought a brand new one. And this is what's at stake, is we are going to miss the work and usefulness that God has for us to do if we lose our saltiness as a church. Remember, this you is plural, you, sterling, you are the salt of the earth. But if we cling so tightly to each other and we don't ever get out of the canister of what we really are supposed to be and do, friends, we are useless to the Lord. And I ask you today, how much saltiness is in your life? Saltiness is expressed in this loving up, loving in, loving out. I want to remind you, I've got so much to say, but I've got to end it, is this. How much, not only does your saltiness matter to you, in other words, how much are you longing for Jesus, staying close to him in your day, seeking to be open to him, wanting to fuel that fire all the time, stoking those flames of desire for him and to please him and to love him in the world around you. There's a personal aspect you have to guard in your life. Like those virgins, you have to have oil in that lamp. Don't let that lamp run dry. You have to nurture this desire to be like Christ and to be with Christ every single day. That's what leads to the saltiness personally it's talking about. If you neglect Jesus, you will lose your saltiness. If you contaminate your life with sin, you will lose your saltiness. If you let the affection of the world or fear of man come into your life, you will lose your saltiness individually. But church, I want to end with this call of going, how interested are we in corporate saltiness here? Not my concern is at Sterling and at the Ridge is that our understanding of church is what's in it for me. So I attend church on my terms. This building and the worship team and the sermon exists for me on my terms. 
But Jesus is saying, Sterling, how concerned are you about the saltiness, not only in your own life, but in the people around you? These are your brothers and sisters. Do you pray for this church? Do you give to this church? Do you serve in this church? Do you want her well-being in this church? Do you long to see the saltiness of the Beatitudes not just coming out in you, but in Sterling and the Ridge, in SBC, in the church at large of East London? Because our saltiness matters. You know what I think about over and over is what I shared at the church summit of Revelation chapter 2. Is this church of Ephesus was so busy, but it had abandoned its first love. And what did Jesus say? I'll remove your lampstand unless you repent. And this is the point of Hebrews 10 verse 24 to 25. It says, and let us consider how to stir up one another. How to stir up one another to love and good works. Our purpose here is to not just have a concern for where we are with Jesus, but where the church is with Jesus. It's not just what's in it for me, but what's in it for us. And the amazing thing is, this Hebrew writer is saying, during the week, you are thinking about the church. You're thinking about your sisters. You're thinking about your brothers. They're not at church. You pick up the phone. Where you been? How you doing? Ian's experience of community is the kind of saltiness we're looking for. Where our desire is not just for us individually to get a well done, but to be in the honors list as a church. That when God sees Sterling, he says, well done. Well done. And so I'm nudging you this morning. And I'm asking you the question. How important is the saltiness of this church to you? Because it goes on to say, let us not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. We're going to stand before Jesus one day. We're going to experience what it's like to see the Savior there before us. And we're going to stand before him as a church. So whilst we wait for him, we encourage stir up brothers and sisters family enjoying the blessing of having even the saltiness of each other rub off on ourselves don't just attend when you're on the duty roster don't just come here when you want when you feel oh it's a good fit the more you love your brothers and sisters the more life you'll experience and blessing your experience in this thing called community. And if one person makes the world wake up and go, this tastes different, how much more a church? We're going to go into communion. But I want to remind you about the purpose of this cup and this bread. Jesus said, I want you to take this cup and this bread and do it in remembrance of me. This is the man you love and serve. This is the man who bled and died for you. This is the man that you're called to take up and represent. And you do it by grace. 
the one who calls you sustains you with his own body and blood. You sin, you get up in Jesus. Didn't get it right? Doesn't matter. You'll have another turn. You enjoy where God puts you. You live it out. You remain in Christ. And so we're going to serve communion this morning. And I want you to ask the question, Lord, how salty am I before you? And as you take the cup and you take the bread, you say, Lord, as I take this grace given to me by your body, would you change me? Would you make me taste like what I've just put in my mouth? Would you help me live off you, love you, serve you? And if you need to do business with the Lord, you just confess that. His blood sufficient to wash it away. Jesus, we thank you for the freedom that we have as your people to enjoy this grace gift of your body and blood, represented here by the cup and the bread. Lord, we thank you that we as Christians get to enjoy what it's like to be alive in Christ, to experience the wonder and joy of forgiveness of sin, to be in the kingdom, to have eternal life to have the Holy Spirit in our hearts that makes us alive to you, Lord. That, God, we have a purpose as salt in the world. And I pray that, Lord, as we eat and drink in this moment, that this meal we enjoy, Lord, this gospel that we've been able to enter into, I pray it would become stronger than ever in the way that we share it, the way that we seek to bring it into the lives of those around us, the way that you've called us, Lord, to bring Christ, Christ, the joy of heaven, the hope of the world, Lord, into every single area of our lives. Lord, might this gospel spread. Might it spread in power, Lord. Might we not be salt shakers that are useless in your hands, but Lord, might we be a church that goes into every aspect of life, Lord, being rubbed into, Lord, seeking to bring the saltiness of Jesus, the flavor, the healing, the purity. We ask this, Lord, in your mighty name. Let's eat and drink together. So, Lord, we thank you that you're with us. We thank you that your Spirit helps us to do these things. We pray that, Lord, as we leave this place, we would go with this mindset that we are the salt of the earth and that, Lord, we glory in it. We pray in your precious name. Amen.